Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Drop. Ardo Cal here. Greg Wyshynski is not. Some wonderful news to share on that front. But first, let me welcome in our guest host for the podcast for this week, Ryan Clark, who is an ESPN NHL writer. Ryan, thank you for answering the bat call, my friend, and joining us on the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's always kind of fun to see how you and Wish do this. So to be a part of it, and when you asked, I was like, hey, why not? It seemed like it would be a fun time. I hope you have a great Canadian accent. Uh, his is terrible. So, I mean, anyone's would be better at this point. It's okay. We can save that for later. The reason... The man literally Wishy has a family and you're choosing violence. <laughs> this is a great start to the show. Great to that start. point, to that point, the reason Wish is not here is because him and his lovely wife, Ruby, uh, welcomed a new bundle of joy to the family posted on social media. Iris Winter Wyshynski was born on friday evening january 12th congratulations buddy take all the time you need this is a joyous occasion happy to see it and also happy that uh baby is already a devil's fan wearing a devil's onesie like get him get get there early right you got to start day one you say that but now watch greg's daughter grow up to be a rangers fan just for the fun of it that would be a great time in that household if that were to happen and wish would be sad every step of the way. So I support it. Uh, so once again, buddy, we love you. Congratulations. Uh, and we will see you back when you're ready to come back. Uh, let's start the show uh, with a polarizing topic, my friend. The NHL All-Star jerseys. In collaboration with Justin Bieber and his charity Drew House, he has designed this year's 2024 NHL All-Star Game jerseys that will be featured at the All-Star Game in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. The topic is heavily debated. Are they nice? Are they not? Are they gross? Are they great? A lot of thoughts out there. Very polarizing, like I said. Ryan, your initial reaction to the design. It's complicated just because you look at the last <laughs> like a, few like a years, relationship status. <laughs> well, yes and no, but you look at the last few years, whether we've seen it be all-star sweaters, uh, teams, you know, coming out with new logos or doing a brand new redesign or even uniforms for something like an outdoor game or a winter classic, people are going to have opinions and you're not going to please everyone. Even with something like mascots, like you come out with them and people are like, either this is the greatest thing I've ever seen or let's launch this into the sun. And it seems like the thing with these all-star sweaters is they're going to be polarizing because one, everyone has opinions, but two, like the color yellow, like yellow is one of those colors, yellow or gold, where it's like, you've got to be really, really, really particular about it and make it work because it is so bold to where like, if you use it a certain way, it, it can work. If you don't use it, it almost becomes a little too overwhelming. And that's why you look at some of the comments on social. And one of the ones that stood out was like, these jerseys look like they belong to church's chicken. And like, when you hear or see that, like, you're just like, you know what? I can kind of picture getting a honey butter biscuit while looking at an all-star game. Yeah, they, they definitely will have those opinions. And honestly, not my cup of tea. I'm not going out and buying one. But then again, this is coming from a guy who absolutely adores the all-star game jerseys from the 80s, which were like pylon yellow and a bunch of stars on them. And like the word Campbell written on the front, like, those were pretty gross to a lot of people, so I love them, I cherish them, but then again, that could be nostalgia too. Here's the thing, this is what I want to say about this. To me, Justin Bieber 
one of the biggest celebrities in the entire world, collaborating with hockey, with the National Hockey League, no matter how and no matter what, will always be a net positive because the visibility will be there, the increase in eyeballs. People outside of hockey will be talking about this. And maybe that design will resonate with people outside of hockey. And if you were to ask me, should we create something? Should we always be creating something for the hockey bubble? Or should we try to permeate outside of that bubble and try and please or attract or connect with people outside of that and, and just the general population, something like this would probably do a better job than a lot of what we've seen. The winter classic jerseys, like the Seattle Jersey was fantastic, but I guarantee you this all-star Jersey is going to reach a lot more non-hockey fans. Well, not only that, but I mean, here's the reality of whenever we have these conversations about, do you try to appease the people who are, are hockey fans or the people who are non-hockey fans? The hockey fans are always going to be there. Like they're, they're not going away. They might get frustrated, but they're never going away. It's how do you get that person who isn't watching the NHL, who didn't know the all-star game was on and not only didn't know the all-star game was on, but like, how do you find a way to get more fans? Especially when, as we know, all-star games, it seems like unless you're the NBA, they're almost sort of a challenge. Like how many years do we hear about the pro bowl being one of those things where, Hey, I'm sick. Hey, I have a family vacation. Hey, um, I just don't want to go to the thing. And and with the NHL and just every league that has an all-star game, you're always trying to find ways to branch out and gain visibility. And so if you could have someone like Justin Bieber design those sweaters, whether people like them, love them, somewhere in between, it's more attention that you are receiving than you got the day before, if that makes sense. The uh, When you were talking about excuses there, what popped into my head was Artemi Panarin, Handshake, Greg Wyshynski, Using childbirth as an excuse not to go to the all-star game. <laughs> actually, I think Wish might actually be there, but still. On to another topic now, and I feel, Ryan, like we have really upped the ante in terms of massive quotes in hockey. Uh, ones that really move the needle or just peak interest around the hockey world. I feel like... It, that has, it has increased this season over previous years. Uh, and the latest one has come from Toronto Maple Leafs head coach Sheldon Keefe uh, with the, uh, the season halfway over. He's got some doubts, and this is what he had to say. 42 games in, I still have a lot of questions, quite honestly, about who is going to go out and you can say for certain is going to get the job done for us. Who are we going to rely on in those moments? Who's going to go out and get the job done? Uh, so th that we don't hear that kind of quote, Ryan, every day from a head coach in the NHL, essentially calling out. You, you can interpret this as calling out the entire locker room if you wanted to, right? Because we don't know who he's, he's not singling out anybody here. He's saying, I don't know who I can rely on. What do you make of this quote? It's not just so much not knowing who to rely on, but it's the fact that you're a team with Stanley Cup aspirations. Like there's going to be points in the season where coaches question what's going on with their team in the sense of consistency. Are they falling through with what they're what they're being told? That that's going to happen. But when you think about the statement Sheldon Keith gave, maybe that's something you expect of a team that's 
trying to get into the playoffs, someone that went to the season thinking maybe they're a bubble team or a team that, like, let's say they're closer to a lottery spot than they are the wild card. And we all know what the aspirations are and the objectives are, which is it's to not only get into the playoffs and not only win beyond the first round, but win the whole thing. And we're having this conversation in the middle of January. Like, it raises some serious questions about that team when there's already other questions about that team that we've been talking about for a while with things like secondary scoring. And you look at what their goaltending situation has been this season. That's another question. And now you're just adding one more layer to what's been a really interesting season for the Toronto Maple Leafs. What do you think this will do to the locker room? I, 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 I'm very curious if this will be the quote that we look back on and say this was the real public turning point uh, for Sheldon Keefe's tenure uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I, 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 you hear something like this and you just can't, like as a player, of course you're a professional, you push it aside, you get the job done, all of those things, but how do you not hear that and say, maybe my coach doesn't rely on me or maybe it's something else. Maybe the, the room is lost. To your point, there's so much going on there. Years and years of first round exits and the expectations of one of the biggest hockey markets in the NHL. I, I, I find it difficult to resolve all of that. And, and, and I can't help but see this. I don't want to say the beginning of the end because you never want to call for someone's job. But this is a very, very weighty quote to me, Ryan. Honestly, it speaks volumes to me. It it does. And as for how it's received in the locker room, you know, look, it's it's really hard to say because on one hand, maybe there's a part of you that goes, did that need to be kind of voiced out there publicly? But then on the other, maybe it did because some people needed to hear those things. And like you were saying earlier, when we started this segment, when you think about some of the quotes that we've heard, let's not forget what Devontae said after what the avalanche had after one of their games where he was like, look, there are guys who think they're playing well and doing things and they're absolutely kidding themselves. And that's going to happen. Like people are going to put out messages with the hopes that everybody hears it, that it resonates. And look, one of two things are going to happen. The Leafs are going to find the consistency they need in, in certain areas and start winning games and cement themselves in the playoff picture, or they're just, they're not. And it seems like no matter what they do, there's going to be questions of like, hey, what does the next step look like for Sheldon Keefe? Is the, if there is a next step, because again, mm -hmm. like this is a team that like, hey, we look at the landscape of the NHL and while the Leafs are able to compete, like, what have we seen in the East that that's gone down? Like, the Florida Panthers are a team that has had, you know, look, a bunch of different things. Like, whether they had Andrew Burnett, they've shown that they can win and they can go far. The Bruins are doing the same thing as well. you got the Devils and what they're trying to do. Like, there's a lot of competition in the East. And with the talent that the Leafs have, you have the most consistent in terms of who's been there in terms of your core uh, more than anyone outside from like say maybe at Pittsburgh or Washington. Mm -hmm. But at some point you've got to get this figured out because if you don't, then that leaves even larger questions about what does the future look like, not only for Sheldon Keith, but the Leafs as a whole. Now I took the one extreme. Let me uh, defend Sheldon Keith here. The two things that also popped up in my head or came to mind when I heard this quote was one, this isn't a spur of the moment thing. Like this was percolating. This was clearly 
it felt very much like this was building and building and building. And also, this was a deliberate delivery of this quote. Coaches very rarely, Ryan, we know this, coaches very rarely say things publicly unless they believe it will yield maximum results, right? If I'm calling out a player, right? If I'm calling out a player, I believe that that player will react positively to my call out and therefore correct the behavior that I'm trying to correct. This is a tool a coach uses. So maybe Sheldon Keefe said, this is the time, this is the opportunity to say something like this, to really light a fire under the butts of the players in that locker room. It's, it's possible. And I'll preface this with, this could probably be the dumbest comment in the history of the show, but it's sort of wild that this is the, the point that we're having to make, especially when, like, as we just talked about what the all-star game in the last segment like the Leafs are having how many players go to the All-Star game, but yet here we are talking about them in the sense of like, is this team consistent enough? Are there questions with what they do? Like the way the coaches handled this, like was this the best way to go about it? Was this the not the best way? Is he around after this season? Is he not? Again, it's just, it's fascinating. But again, if you're the Leafs, this is what you get. You play in Toronto, you know what the deal is. From star players that the Toronto Maple Leafs have in abundance, to players that will become stars very soon, emerging stars, rookies in the NHL. The Calder race might become closer than we think, Ryan, and that has everything to do with Connor Bedard's injury. Out six to eight weeks, surgery to repair a broken jaw. Uh, Our colleague, Kristen Shilton, uh, reported that he's already back on the ice. Uh, He's skating around. She uh, wrote about it. Uh, Now, here's the thing. He's still leading in all of the point categories, right? Goals, assists, points. Do we think he may not be by the time he returns, obviously, but what do you think this really does to the Calder race as it pertains to the amount of time that Bedard has has to take off here? It really opens it up just because when you look at, let's say, the points race, he had about a nine-point gap coming into this week, and there are some players who close that gap. Uh, Luke Hughes is a name that comes to mind. Adam Fantilli is a name that comes to mind. Uh, Marco Rossi is another name. But then when you look at just sort of the Calder race as a whole, it's fascinating because it feels like one of the players that we're always talking about, but now is maybe getting more attention is someone like Minnesota Wild defenseman Brock Faber, which when you look at not only the Wild season with all the injuries they've dealt with, but also what Faber has done, he literally plays in every situation, five on five power play penalty kill he logs the most ice time he he's in the most difficult situations that you can ask of a, of a top pairing defenseman especially a rookie top pairing defenseman at that and so it's one of those things where it's like between him you look at the season that Luke Hughes is having like Luke Hughes as of a few days ago was on pace to score 50 points this season the last time a rookie defenseman did that was 2019-20 when it was Kale McCarr and and, and Quinn Hughes and so it's fascinating how this conversation that started with Bedard and very well could end with Bedard could also be one that says, hey, is the Calder Trophy going to come down to maybe two of the defensemen who look to be the next two defensemen in this league that are going to be guys are going to be talked about for a very long time? It's still Connor Bedard's trophy to lose. It really comes down to how much time he misses and how much ground the other players make up. But that's a really good point about Luke Hughes because... We often just look at points, right? Like Connor Bedard had the opportunity 
to amass incredible point totals, undeniable point totals. And because of this, that may not happen this year, but that doesn't mean, of course, that he's not going to become a giant superstar in the league. And he's already shown flashes of brilliance of that. Um, Adam Fantilli, Marco Rossi, and Luke Hughes, who's in fourth in rookie scoring, uh, which in itself, to your point, is just absolutely terrific. So uh, the race continues. Uh, my favorite is still Bedard, but at least it's closer than we thought. Let's go through some quick hits, Ryan. Uh, the Oilers are back at it again. Uh, they're on a great win streak. Uh, they just look terrific. Like what, what, what? When I say Edmonton Oilers to you today, what do you think? If the playoffs started today, they're going to hurt someone's feelings. Because again, it's that wildness <laughs> of like the way this season started. It was preseason cup contenders. By the time you get to November, it's like, are they not only going to miss the playoffs, but yo, are they going to be in the Macklin Celebrini race? Whereas if you look at the changes they've made since Knobloch has come in, and if it's not for the Winnipeg Jets, maybe they're the hottest team in the league right now. All the things that were problems with them defensively, you look at how they're playing. They're one of the top five, top 10 defensive structures in the league with not only goals per game, but things like scoring chances allowed for 60, um, high danger chances allowed for 60. But then another thing you look at too is the way Stuart Skinner has played. Again, before the coaching changes, there were questions about him and his consistency that what you're seeing right now is you're seeing a combination of things. They're they're fast, they're dangerous, they can score. They've got a defensive structure that's getting buy-in from all five players. They have a goaltender who's playing really well. Like at this point, if the playoffs were to start today, there could be someone going home in the first round really disappointed because the Oilers have looked that good. A franchise record 11-game win streak. Uh, this coming off an eight, I think it was an eight-game win streak that they had just pretty recently as they yes. were chasing the franchise record. Like, it's just absolutely incredible. It's almost like, like, I make this joke a lot, but it's almost like Connor McDavid gave everyone else a head start for the Hart Trophy race this year. It's like, all right, you know what? Maybe this year I'll take a month off see how y'all do and he's already sixth in scoring with 58 points in 38 games uh so but listen he may not he may not catch uh Kucherov and McKinnon who are at 72 points well that remains to be seen in the Art Ross race but still absolutely incredible stuff to your point uh speaking of the Oilers they may or may not be one of the teams in the Corey Perry sweepstakes he is cleared to join the NHL again uh, and there are a lot of teams that he is being tied to. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, one of those teams, the Edmonton Oilers, whoever else. Uh, when you think of Corey Perry joining a team in the NHL, which team really jumps out at you and why? The Oilers are an interesting one just because you think about the situations revolving, excuse me, surrounding and involving Corey Perry at the moment. Not that they're similar, but we think about the circumstances under which Evander Kane joined. And there are questions about, hey, could this work? Could this fit in? And since Evander Kane has been in Edmonton, he's been one of their more consistent players. And with someone like Corey Perry, not that you're expecting a Vander Kane level sort of production, but he does give you a second and third layer of scoring. Something that when you look at the Oilers last season in the playoffs, especially that series against the Golden Knights, that was one of the big differences with those two teams. Like one of the ways Vegas was able to win was they could rely on everyone for offensive contributions. Whereas with the Oilers and this stat can't be thrown out there enough. Unless it was Dreisaitl or McDavid, Zach Hyman and Warren Fogle were the only Oilers players to score goals in the games they lost to the Golden Knights. So if you think there would be a team out there that would that would probably be a strong fit for Corey Perry, 
the Oilers looks like they could be the one. Yeah, I like him there. I like your I like the secondary scoring thought there, and I think he would be happy in that role. And by the way, speaking of Zach Hyman, uh, since joining Edmonton from Toronto, he has had he has improved career years each season, and he's on pace to do that again. So it's just very impressive what what playing with as if he didn't play with superstars in Toronto. What playing with different superstars, I guess, or Conor McDavid, Drysaddle will do for your career, but. Um, but yeah, Edmonton is an interesting one. Even Toronto, the uh, any team that really needs secondary scoring, right? Like it, it'd be interesting to see uh, where he lands. I'm going to throw a couple of other names to you, whether it's um, uh, a UFA at the end of the year or someone that has also been on the trade block, at least rumors wise. And uh, you tell me the teams that jump to your mind instantly. Trevor Zegras. Colorado would be interesting just because of the second line center conversation. Uh, but at the same time, Philadelphia would be fascinating just because it it, it would be. Uh, I know we're going to get into Sam Reinhart in Florida here in a bit, but you kind of wonder about Florida. It just here's the reality with Trevor Zegras. Like there's going to be a lot of interest. He's a young player. He gives you top six potential. He's someone that, you know, is going to be able to help you in a lot of different ways. A lot of teams would like to have him, but it's like anything like what sort of capital does a team have that they can sort of part with to go get someone like him? And at this point, like, again, there's all these teams that could be options, but to say which one makes the most sense, here's the answer. Whoever can offer Anaheim the most attractive package if it gets to that far. If, uh, it, gets it, to, if it gets that far. Imagine the storyline of Trevor Zegers joining the, a John Tortorella-led team. If he were to go to the Flyers, can you imagine that? It would be incredible. It would it would be fascinating, but at the same time, like Tortorella's track record, like you think about what he did with Vincent LeCavier, Brad Richards, like you think about what he's done with young players and in his career. And it'd be interesting to see what someone like him could do with someone like Trevor Zegris, but also you just sort of wonder like, what would it be like for him to go into a different environment? Just because the fact that we're having this conversation about Trevor Zegris possibly being moved, it's wild. Cause it wasn't that long ago. We were all, and we still kind of do look at the ducks as like, Hey, could they be that next young team that assembles all these pieces and, and, and sort of takes off again, that's still a possibility, but to think that they could do it without Trevor Zegris, like who would have thought that two years ago? But also, I guess him and Jamie Drysdale are like best friends. And you're right. Torts does develop. Uh, see, the thing is, is that I guess I'm I'm colored by I was on the desk with him when we were talking about the Dishigan, right? And um, I, I they did have a conversation. He did say that. Torts did say that, that they did have a conversation after the fact. And, you know, they they, they talked it out. And I do think that uh, there would be positives there. I do think that I guess I the where I'm getting at is the Flyers overall. Do they add at the trade deadline? Like I, I guess I guess what I'm wondering is this is an unexpected year for them. I think everyone can agree on that. Like the fact that they're in a playoff spot and competitive, and quite frankly, people are now talking about well, they're going to be a they're going to make the playoffs here. You know, like that, that that's what the conversation we're having with the Flyers right now, and that's not something that a lot of people were talking about at the start of the season. But is this a we-need-to-add-pieces kind of year? I, I, I'm i still not sold on that with the Flyers just yet. It seems like it's hard to say at this point just because 
you think about the teams that have typically been in that position. There have been years and years and years of building. Whereas with the Flyers, in 12 months, they've gone from we're in a rebuild to we're in a playoff spot. And it's not that you don't want to believe in what you're doing, but at the same time, is that necessarily the sort of timeline you want to rush? Because going back to what we were saying about Tortorella and young players, like let's think about the rookies on the team, you know, this year with Bobby Brink, Tyson Forster, another player from last year, Noah Cates, who like, let's be honest here. If Noah Cates had, again, more points in his game, especially with his defensive play, more people would be talking about Noah Cates being one of the better. I mean, he is one of the better young players in his game, but he would get more attention and that capacity. And so like, if you're the Flyers, you're seeing what you're doing and it's working and working, but all these teams that are at this point, these young teams that are, are trying to build towards something, they all have to ask these questions of, is this the time to add? Yeah. And if you're the Flyers, like that's a big one. Maybe the answer at some point is, is yes. And they make a move, but it's like to make such a, a significant move like that. It's about for them and for anything in that situation, it's about how do you be strategic, not only for this season, but the years beyond. I, I will give Torts a lot of credit for what he's done in Philadelphia, for what he's been able to do to that team. I'm still not sold on them being buyers at the deadline, but hey, I could be surprised and shocked. Uh, speaking of buying, speaking of money, I wonder what Sam Reinhart will get at the end of the year. Uh, he is absolutely lighting it up. 10 goals in his last eight games. Uh, what, what, what do you think? Do you think he stays with, with the Panthers? What do you think his contract will look like? What, what is in the immediate future, the next several months uh, financially for Sam Reinhart? It seems like if you're him staying with the Florida Panthers makes sense, especially depending upon what they do this year. So like say the Panthers go to the second or, or third round of the postseason. He's been at the heart. He's been one of those players who's been at the heart of what's been the best run in franchise history. Like, let's let's not forget that. It's not like Sam Reinhardt is someone who kind of lucked in. Like, no, the talent's always been there. It's just by being in Florida, he has given them a one-two center situation between him and Alexander Barkov. That has made them one of the stronger center duos in the league. So if you're him, there's definitely upside in, in staying in Florida, but also – you might want to see what the market has out there because there's no question he's going to get paid in terms of what he's possibly going to get. You would think somewhere in the eight, eight, five area, maybe, maybe seven. The reality is, is just the way second line centers work in this league is they're going to be one of your highest earners. You look at the teams that have that center depth, like a Vegas, it works out well for them. LA, they granted Pierre-Luc Dubois maybe not had the season people have expected, but the fact is you have Kopitar, Dubois, Philip Deneau. We've we've seen it with Edmonton from time to time. The teams that have that second line center, it really allows them to do things. And so if you want someone like that, you're going to have to pay for it. So you would think maybe that possibly could be in the neighborhood. But either way, if you're Sam Reinhart, you know you're not only going to get paid, but you're going to go somewhere where you're going to get valued. Yeah, I, I, I'm very curious to see what... He's currently at six and a half. He's definitely getting well north of that. I mean, could it be... What what did you say? Seven, eight? Let's say starting at seven, seven, five, possibly eight, just because, yes, it's one of those things where the cap is going up, but also it's like when it comes to second-line centers, it's sort of that you know yeah. you're going to have to pay them, but like you want it to be the sort of thing that limits you from being able to go out and do other things. Granted, everybody looks at it for every position, but it's so different if you're talking about, let's say a top line center or top pairing defenseman. 
I mean, I, I wonder. Yeah. Okay. Eight. Eight seems like a, in the vicinity of eight. In the vicinity of eight. Seven. Yeah, let's say in vicinity of eight. Somewhere, yeah. somewhere, somewhere, seven and a half and eight. I feel like it'll be closer to eight than to seven. Let's say eight. He's five. having a monster just, Let's just say let's, eight. Let's five. say nine. You know what? Uh, ten and a half. <laughs> Nylander. Let's go Nylander. Uh, let's go. Yeah. Connor McDavid. Yeah. That's what we're doing. Um, anyhow, uh, speaking of picks and prognostications, uh, we have a very special ESPN, the drop NFL playoff guest picker. Uh, he is Boston Bruins defenseman, Charlie McAvoy. He gave us his picks for the playoff games last week. Uh, and he went three for six, exactly 50%. He was right with the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Lions. Uh, and he was wrong with the Browns, Eagles, and Cowboys. So he decided uh, he he's continuing to give us his picks. And the picks are in, Ryan. Uh, we will now give you Charlie McAvoy's picks for the four playoff games this weekend. Charlie McAvoy has the Houston Texans defeating the Baltimore Ravens. Charlie McAvoy has the San Francisco 49ers over the Green Bay Packers. McAvoy says, go with the Detroit Lions over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And finally, the big main event, the WrestleMania of this weekend in the NFL. The Kansas City Chiefs, according to Charlie McAvoy, shall defeat the Buffalo Bills. Your thoughts on Charlie McAvoy's picks? That Houston-Baltimore one is fascinating, isn't it? Because like mm -hmm. we've all looked at Baltimore in the AFC this year and have said that this is this is their year. But when you look at how well the Texans have played, what C.J. Stroud has done, how good they've looked in that open game, like really, really good, you can see why someone would say, hey, the Texans are going to beat the Ravens. But that's one where it just seems like, Maybe for now you would lean toward the Ravens, but everything else, everything else you can totally understand. But that that Houston Baltimore one, that's where you're just like interesting. What about you? Yeah, he's got the Chiefs over the Bills. That's gonna be a fun one. That's always a fun one to me. Like that's to me, it's like that's you such know, a push game. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, man, I yeah, if the Bill I, I kinda wanna see the Bills win because I do want to see them in the Super Bowl because I feel like I I, I feel for the Buffalo sports fan. So I would love for them to finally have an opportunity to get to the big dance again and 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 exercise the demons of the 90s and finally get that big win, you know? So that would be uh, my wish for the city of Buffalo, but that's going to be a tough one. <laughs> so oh, I'm no, there's not no at all question. surprised. Not at all surprised. Uh, so thank you to Charlie for sending us his, uh, your picks. And he will do that all the way through the Super Bowl. So uh, we're very much looking forward to that. And we'll see if he can improve on his current 50% standing. Uh, but to be fair, a lot of us uh, did not see a lot of these wins coming this past weekend. So can't really blame the guy. <laughs> Some of them were like, wow. Some of them were, but it's fascinating because you look at social media, especially with the Cowboys, and not that we need to go any further with that, but it just seems like <laughs> after every Cowboys loss, there's two schools of thought. It's either the, how did this happen again, or people going, 
are you shocked that this happened? Right. <laughs> and and the meme of the Cowboys turning into the Maple Leafs. It's like the Dallas Maple Leafs or the Toronto Cowboys. Like the whole connection is always there on social media. That always happens when either team inediv- inevitably loses in the playoffs. That does it for us here on The Drop. Ryan, thanks for doing this, man. Really appreciate you joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. And remember, uh, Tuesdays and Fridays, when you can get your episode of The Drop, wherever you get your audio podcasts as well, the NHL on ESPN YouTube. Have a great weekend. We will see you on Tuesday.